0: Hello and welcome back to the Kitabi Karwan podcast. To kick off season four, we have the very special Saurabh Mukherjee with us. For those of you who don't know Saurabh, Saurabh is the founder and chief investment officer at Marcellus Investment Managers, a portfolio management service which runs an AUM of over 10,000 crores. Known for his consistent compounders and the traditional coffee can investing strategy, Saurabh has spent over four or five books, multiple newsletters, blogs about his theory, talking about the investing world, and a lot more. An ardent cricket fan, Saurabh has brought about a revolution to the PMS industry and how Indians go about investing. But one of the interesting things that Saurabh does, unlike a lot of other fund managers, is be a voracious reader and base a lot of his knowledge and his theories based on things that he reads beyond the financial markets. Without giving a lot of fit away, let's jump right into the interview. Hi Saurav, welcome to the Kitabi Karwan podcast. It's, I'm so glad to have you on the air. Uh, before we begin, i uh, will just like to give you about 30 seconds to a minute to uh, brief our readers or listeners about uh, what you do, what your book's about. Uh, I personally know what you do from, I mean, I work in the financial market, so I know you as an author as from your work as well, but
1: for for our listeners. So look, I mean, we at Marcellus Investment Managers, we manage the equity market savings of around 10,000 families in India, uh, plus some corporates in India, plus uh, some British and American universities. Um, uh, we invest through something called Portfolio Management Services. It's a, SEBI, it's a license that the regulator SEBI grants, wherein we can set up, for sake of example, we can set up Siddharth Gupta's uh, portfolio uh, uh, specific to Siddharth Gupta It's in his DMAT account. Siddharth simply gives us a power of attorney to operate Siddharth's DMAT account and we buy in Siddharth's DMAT account uh, stocks that meet our investment philosophy. Our investment philosophy, which is outlined in the book, which is behind Siddharth's head, uh, the book is called Diamonds in the Dust. Our investment philosophies look for clean companies, promoters who are not stealing money. Secondly, amongst the cleaner companies, look for promoters who are uh, allocating capital sensibly, intelligently. We measure that by looking for return on capital above the cost of capital over a 10 to 15 year period so step one clean accounts. step two intelligent capital allocation and the third thing that we look for is the third thing that we look for is is companies where where the prices that the company is charging are 10 20 30 percent higher than the peer group right so so looking for dominant franchises alongside clean accounts and good capital allocation uh we've in the 14 years i've lived in india my colleagues and i have found around 35 such companies then they form Marcellus's large cap, mid cap and small cap portfolios Um, and that's it we trade very little we buy and sell very little in a given year in a typical portfolio in a given year we will buy one stock in a given year we will sell one stock that might sound sound unusual but there are actually some very successful fund managers outside India who sell one stock every four years right so we are actually compared to fund managers who buy and sell one stock every four years Firms like Selene Train, a uh, uh, reputed fund managers based out of London, or Terry Smith, who buy and sell very little. We actually buy and sell one stock a year. And that leaves us plenty of time to write books um, such as Diamonds in the Dust and speak to interesting people like Siddharth. Thank you, Saurabh. So, uh, Saurabh, this was
0: a very interesting insight into what you do and uh, a great summary of, at that for Diamonds in the Dust. But that's something that I wanted to ask you. So being a writer, was it something that I mean, comes as part of the job. Like, I mean, see, because I don't see a lot of fund managers in India writing books, right? Or does it come out of a hobby? Is this something that you've always wanted to do, or is it just in the way of kind of spent spreading discourse
1: regarding the philosophy your fund believes in? So I think, uh, I, I, you know, when when I when I went through my CFA uh, charter, uh, 2001, two thousand one, two, three, and then I worked in the UK for. I worked in the British stock market for around nine years, and then I worked in India for eighteen years. I have never found a fund manager anywhere in the world who isn't a very good articulator, right? And you know, most notably, of Warren Buffett, right? Legendary, right. good articulator. And 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 therefore, long before we became investors in Marcellus, long before we became investors in Marcellus, we realized very early on in our development that if you can't if you can't think, speak, and write clearly, mm-hmm. it is very, very unlikely you will be a successful investor, right? Mm-hmm. So it's thinking clearly, mm-hmm. speaking clearly, and writing clearly uh, is a prerequisite for this job. Um, not least because it clarifies your own thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it clarifies your own intellectual uh, 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 process. If you put things down on paper. And present it to the audience, right? You get feedback. Uh, uh, reading your own writing will give you more rigor in your thinking, and getting feedback, right? If you publish a book like Diamonds in the Dust, which sells by the lacks, that feedback itself is incredibly enriching. So, so long before we became investors, we realized that you know, reading say Warren Buffett or a Philip Fisher um, uh, or uh, uh, or a Peter Lynch, it was very clear that it's very difficult to be a good fund manager if you're not a clear thinker clear speaker and a good writer yeah right so okay
0: so because that is something i've again i've observed right i mean uh i think this is something a lot of people would agree with that even when people invest in certain schemes or i mean mutual fund or whatever i mean i've noticed Marcellus is very active on the writing front that there are newsletters and blogs and like uh, the <laughs> books that not- are
1: coming out we're not just right. uh, active writing front to, to sort of beat up you know beat beat our own drum and spread the message. A yeah. point is if we can't if we can't tell you clearly what we are doing right. either through a book or through a newsletter or through a webinar or a or a you know a session like this if we can't tell you what we're doing on what basis will you invest with us? Absolutely right. As everybody knows, past performance is not right. the best way to assess a fund manager. Right. So right. if we can't tell you what we are doing. Uh, what basis will you invest with us? Or let's take an even simpler message. Suppose we were selling food processors rather than fund management. Right. Suppose we were selling food processors and I could not explain to you the features of my product and how our food processor has been created. Um, what what is, the, what is the reason you should buy our food processor? Why will Siddharth then buy the food processor? So it's very strange, right? There are two very oh. interesting things about fund management which stand out. One is, this notion that fund management somehow is should, doesn't have to be explained to others. Mm-hmm. You will uh, somehow, the fund manager believes that the sheer presence uh, mm-hmm. will be enough for Siddharth to buy the product. That doesn't work. I think I'm pretty sure most people watching this will say um, the presence of a fund manager and his view on the market is not what we are looking to invest in. We are looking to understand what does the fellow do. How, does he, uh, how has he constructed his investment philosophy? Or how does he identify stocks and investing stocks? And therefore, right. it behooves us to be very clear about that. The other interesting facets, that, and I think this is the flip side of the first point, mm. is, is you know normally people don't believe that they are, for example, that they can do open heart surgery or that they can make a, a Michelin starred meal right. or that they can direct a movie. Right. So somehow, a lot of people believe they can do fund management so a lot of, lot of members of the public believe that whilst they they will not try their hand at you know making say caramel custard and they won't try their hand at uh, you know batting in a t20 match or in open heart surgery somehow they believe fund management is fair game and they'll have go and have a punt with their money so both of these are delusions i right. think are images of each other the fund manager's delusion mm-hmm. that communication isn't required right and the public's delusion that Buying and selling stocks, that's something that you can turn your hand to whenever right. you feel it. Right. Okay. So,
0: Sarav, I'm going to take a step back for this conversation, right? And this is, again, comes from my observation the fact that uh, you and, again, people at Marcellus are voracious advocates of the fact that people ought to read a lot more, right? I mean, even when mm-hmm. for your customers and for uh, you, to always peppered with suggestions of books that have inspired you or books that, you know, help you build your philosophy. So, uh, I mean, I just want to know where did this start for you? Was this uh, something your parents put on you that you should read or do you just generally like to read in general or is it just finance books that you kind
1: of focus on in life? I, do, I don't think that, I mean, obviously, I, I grew up in a household where there wasn't that much money going around. So, right. so one, one of the few things my parents could buy me was secondhand books and right. and you know, becoming, library mem- becoming a library member wasn't then and is it now particularly expensive. And it's a you know it's a easy it's a low-cost, easy hobby to pick up. But that apart, right, that apart is that, again, as the years have gone by, and as I've gotten older, I've realized that, um, and, and I'm paraphrasing Charlie Munger here, I'm paraphrasing Charlie Munger, that you, you rarely meet intelligent people who don't read non-stop, right? And that's just as in India, uh, many of the promoters of our investing companies, they're not sort of formally qualified, they don't have IIT, IIM qualifications they are incredibly well read and they're non reading non-stop, right? A sign right. of a curious mind. Remember, curiosity is a super is a superpower, right? In a world right. where in a world where change is a constant, right. curiosity is a superpower, whether it's in a promoter, it's an analyst, a fund manager, someone working in IT services, it doesn't matter. If you're a curious person, right. your brain your brain is going to the gym every day. And right? right. a curious person's brain is gymming all the time. That brain is necessarily fitter. And a curious person necessarily seeks out uh, reading material, right? Mm. Uh, and that's why you know the correlation between curious promoters, curious fund managers, curious analysts, curious people in general, and success tends to be to be very high. And reading is a reading is a via media through which you right. through which you give full vent to your curiosity. Right. right? No, so I get I get that I completely as as a
0: reader I completely agree with what you say, right? I think. Curiosity is best satisfied by books in general. But what I'm actually more interested in is what got you interested in reading. I mean, I'm pretty sure like this is not something that you would have known as a kid. We
1: model our behaviors. We model our behaviors around us. Uh, My parents were reading all the time. So I thought that was the thing to do, to read all the time. And my wife and I didn't really tell our children read all the time. But because we read all the time, they have ended up reading all the time. And I think that modeling aspect becomes really important. So, 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 you uh, know, as as child as child psychologists have repeatedly said, it's not what you tell your child that works. Is it's not what you tell your child. It's what your child sees you doing, which yeah. is the more main influence you have on your children's behavior. So, yeah. in my parents' case, you know, music and uh, music and and reading were big hobbies for them. As I said, given the income strata we were in, that was a couple of the things we could afford. And as I, I ended up picking it up from them and then so on, I passed it on to the kids and so on. Right. So Saurabh, do you uh, generally just read non-fiction? Is that
0: something that you restrict yourself to or is fiction so, also a part of your repertoire?
1: I used to read plenty of fiction till I started working with John K. in my early 20s. Okay. And then when, when I started working with John, this was sh- shortly after, the, after I graduated from the LSE. Then I started working with John and I realized just... How much stuff John and his friends knew about since the last two hundred years of corporate life in many different countries, and I realized just how many case studies and how many companies' accounts and evolution John and his friends knew. I realized that that's the that's the day that's the bank of that's the bank of knowledge that I also want to build. So once I encountered John in my early twenties. After that, it became very difficult to get myself interested in fiction. I, I do occasionally read the so there's a there's a uh, there's a treasure hunt in Marcellus uh, uh, post post market hours today. No. <coughs> so the treasure hunt is on Harry Potter okay. and the Philosopher's Stone. So so therefore as part of the syllabus for the treasure hunt, I read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's <laughs> Stone. But uh, you know that must be one of the rare fiction books I've read for a for a long long time. But primarily this love for fiction arose from working with John Ke and realizing that. The, the richer your, the richer your mental models, the deeper your knowledge about business history, about uh, corporate history, the greater your ability to contextualize, the greater your ability to contextualize the here and the now.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's actually a very fair point because I'll tell you why I was asking you the question. I personally believe that every writer or author, right, they are able. I mean, it's, you know, kind of, because you're a cricket uh, fan as well, you'd understand this, that there it's sort of net practice for them, that reading and is just refining your skill for that particular yeah. job that you do in life, not just as a fund manager, but yeah, as you're
1: a right. right You very rarely find a successful right. writer, writer who hasn't read loads and loads of books. Right. 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 And as Charlie Munger says, you rarely find right. an intelligent individual who right. hasn't read loads of, books, right. loads of books. Right. So sort
0: of, uh, you know, I mean, given that you're, I mean, it's clear that your interest lies in finance and well, reading the same. But even within nonfiction, do you tend to read, uh, do you generally tend to read anything beyond fiction or uh, finance or economics or things that would largely pertain to the markets? And if yes, do you feel that that actually helps you grow as a fund manager as well? I'm just trying to kind of tie in the fact that whether you'd have books that aren't related to your profession are helping you. Uh, grow and does that help you as a writer as well this is another question because you write a lot on finance as well
1: so so we've written my, my friend Anupam Gupta and I have written a book uh, on, uh, on 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 you know, how how you train yourself in life and it's got nothing to do with finance yeah. the book is called the victory project six steps to peak potential so this was published I think two two years ago it's become a bestseller and it's got nothing to do with finance And the book that's coming out in March has got nothing to do with finance. It's about how to think, how to think under pressure, how to think in day-to-day life under stressful circumstances. Um, Bulk of my reading actually doesn't have that much to do with finance slash investing. I I try to read uh, as much as I can understand. I'm not a psychologist, but I try to read as much popular psychology as as I can understand. Um, I'm a big history buff, so I try to read plenty on uh, economic history, um, both normal history and, and economic history. Um, uh, I've got a decent amount of interest in politics, both Western uh-huh. politics and in politics. Um, uh, and 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 I'm not a scientist. I studied sort of maths, uh, physics, and maths in in my high school, so I know a reasonable amount of popular science. Uh-huh. But it's reading about it's reading about a whole bunch of things that that allow us to become better at what we do. So for example, I just finished a meeting with my colleagues on technology and and and, uh, and artificial intelligence and and what what sort of work streams we need to think about in 2023 around the AI. So if I don't read up on AI and I don't, uh, you know, within Marcellus, we were thriving sort of group of people who send stuff uh, to read, podcasts to read, uh, uh, books to read. And if we as a group in Marcellus don't read more on technology, on science, on history, on politics, um, then obviously you're we, going to become you know, fairly uh, narrow-minded in our view about investing. So invest, books on investing per se beyond the point actually are not that interesting. It's the broader salary around non-fiction that become very interesting.
0: No, uh, it, it's interesting you mentioned Anupam. Anupam was in our podcast in the previous season. I think he was one of the last. Right, yeah. but uh, And it's very heartening to hear you say this because I think this is a message that goes out to a lot of our listeners as well, right? Because this is a conundrum a lot of people face that there are people who read as for their hobby. I mean, they enjoy reading. And a lot of people who read because, well, they believe it will make them more successful or better at the profession. And this is something I think I personally believe in what you just said that, I think succeeding in life requires a lot more holistic knowledge than, than just knowledge of a particular field. So if you're reading and using it as a tool to kind of grow in your profession, you would need, need to read beyond like the specific books on your profession and just a lot of other things that kind of tie into your interest or your profession broadly to kind of have a
1: more... So I'll tell you why, why, why a lot of people in our line of work in investing don't... I, I'll tell you why I think a lot of people in investing don't read beyond investing. Right. So there are schools of thought. One school of thought sees investing as a exercise in judgment, right? Mm-hmm. So in that in, in that school of thought, the investor is much like a high court judge, mm-hmm. sitting weighing up the facts and using her wisdom to opine on, you know, right. whether the plaintiff or the defend defendant is is to be granted the victory in the case, right? So in that mode of thought, uh, the investor is sort of wise person. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, typically, mental, in that mental model, the investor is a little older, uh, wise, balanced, sane, calm, collected individual, right? So that's one type of mental model for how a great investor works, right? Now, um, the, the other mental model is that investing is much like, say, uh, being a creative person in the advertising field, right? To come up with a mind-blowing advertising campaign for a product which has been around 30 years old, you really need to have a very original mind so that right. you're able to understand what the public wants and you're able to launch an advertising campaign which captures the public's imagination and in professions like that or say professions anything with art and music creativity is, creativity is very highly priced right, right. and in that that's sort the of model with the creative the, the creative fields the the successful person is seen as a slightly left field person uh, you know the get up will not be like yours and mine wearing a you know colorless shirt like ours there will be you know Probably wearing a colorful T-shirt, they might have slightly long hair, and right. you know, uh, uh, you know, tattoos and so on and so forth, right? Um, I I I believe the invest investment is more like the latter field rather right. than the former, field. because if you're going to be the you know the, the exercising judgment, then it's unlikely your judgment will be consistently superior than the right. judgment of thousands of other investors, right? In a market right. where information is so widely available, on judgment right. alone gonna go very far. Right. Investing fundamentally is about insight, and generating insight is no different in in art, in literature, in music as it is in investing. And if you're gonna if you're gonna generate insight, mm-hmm. it's highly likely those insights will come from reading well beyond the field of finance, rather than just reading finance, accounting, accounting, and investing books. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I like
0: the, the idea behind it that uh, investing is an art, not a science. I think that's something again I really nice as yeah resonate with. Um, right. So, sort of, uh, I'll just ask you a few pointed questions now. So, uh, what was the last book that you've read?
1: So, I read uh, Peter Turchin's book uh, uh, on Rush, uh, on on world history, right. War and Peace, War. Right. So, so Turchin had written about uh, this was a book which came out eight or nine years ago, and is written about cycles of war. Uh, okay. And he written he's written the book nine years ago, and he very clearly said, you're going to go through another cycle of war, and I I, I uh, read it once uh, five six years ago. Once the conflict began mm-hmm. in Ukraine and, and and with China sort of doing whatever it's doing, mm-hmm. uh, I thought worth we revisiting three Peter T- Turchin uh, and reading War and Peace and War to understand why this guy was able to so clearly see right. that we're heading heading for, heading for another era of conflict.
0: Right. Okay, uh, and sort of if I would, I mean, I completely understand when this question is posed to a voracious reader like you, that I'm not asking you to name your favorite book, but like, maybe a a book or maybe a few books which have really impacted you as a person, right, over the years, like, I mean, throughout your life, there might be some books that have stood out for you, in terms of maybe shaping your philosophy about maybe anything, maybe work, maybe life, or just has impacted in terms of the way you think, or just made you feel things, Maybe a couple of books on that end. Sure.
1: So, so I think um, one of the books that I have written about in my in my forthcoming book, a book that I have written about in my forthcoming book, as being very uh, important and helping me see see my life in a new new light, was a was a book by a guy called Meher Desai. Meher Desai is a professor in uh, Harvard, and he wrote a beautiful book four years ago called The Wisdom of Finance. Right? The Wisdom of Finance. And and he used a variety of um, research from psychology, from science, um, um, from politics, from history to show that a lot of what we do in investing, a lot of our behaviors as investors and say business people, a lot of our behaviors are not our own. We're simply mimicking, we're simply imitating uh, uh, what we have seen in other people. uh, And secondly, we are… We are, we are playing out the wishes and desires of other people, including say, our parents, yeah. right? So, so so there's a lovely chapter in the book where Mir Desai uh, reframes the principal agent problem, right? Normally, principal agent problem is used to describe problems such as, say, corporate life, where the shareholders are the principal, the CEO as the agent, right? But Mir Desai reframes it to say the principal is your parents. You might have left home 20 years ago but you're still living out the life your parents wanted you to live out. You, 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 you think you're living your own life, but you're actually living out their desires because that's how that's how psychology and parenting works, right? So I was intrigued by that, that you can use uh, economics frameworks to describe behaviors in real life and you're basically using economics and psychology and tying them up in a very clever way. So it's a, a very good book where Desai, the wisdom of finance. There are many other very interesting insights uh, in the book. Right. And the, the the second book or, or, a, or a person that uh, a, a, a French philosopher whose work has mm. uh, has had immense influence on in my life is a man called Rene Girard, right? Uh-huh. So R E N first name and Girard J I R A R D. So so this is a guy uh, whom I found out about from Peter Thiel's books. Mm. Uh, 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 This is a guy I found out about from Peter Thiel's books and I went and read uh, uh, one of Girard's books called Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World, right? Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World. I later realized it's a celebrated book. It was written I think uh, around 50 years ago but it is a mind-blowing book. What it tells us is um, pretty much everything we do in day-to-day life we are mimicking others, right? We live by what Girard calls mimesis. Mimesis is uh, I am wearing a shirt, and you're wearing a shirt. Not because both of us are saying we love shirts, but because we believe that's the done thing in, right. in daily life. Right. Similarly, I covet a diamond, not because I have any independent judgment that a diamond is should be coveted, but because right. I know everybody else also likes diamonds because I also like diamonds. Right. Or I value a, a flat on in Pedder Road,
0: mm-hmm. not because
1: I have some you know profound view that Pedder Road is a great place to live in. But because I've been told that's what, if, you are, if you're an aspirational person in Bombay, then to live in Pedder Road, Marabar Road Hills is the kind right. of the way to live, right? So mimesis becomes the standard way to lead life. That's how we mod build our careers. That's how we decide what to lead. That's mm-hmm. how we decide how to dress, how to frame our children's future. Nothing wrong with that, right? We are We are animals, we're social animals and therefore we frame our lives by mimicking others. Problem is, when we start coveting the same thing, mm-hmm. if all of us covet a flat on better road, right, mm. or if you live in Delhi, South Extension, if all of us want a flat there, then the value of that thing goes to the roof, right, whether it's a diamond, a Rolex watch, or a flat in, flat in South Extension, and then we fight, we fight with each other for that, for that diamond, for the flat, or for the, for the Rolex watch, and once we fight each other, and we beat the living daylights out of each other, and by the way, this might, this can happen without <laughs> a physical fight, this can be a, yeah, a fight that plays out in an office, in an office boardroom, yeah. Once you've beaten each other black and blue, then we say, boss, a scapegoat right? We've fought each yeah. other, you know. Now, let's find a scapegoat. Let's look at that dude over there. Hmm. He looks like a good scapegoat. Because he looks, he's looking a little funny. He's hmm. not wearing the kind of shirt Siddharth and I are wearing. Hmm. He is wearing a T-shirt. And that to a green T-shirt, to usko hmm. ja hain. Hmm. And what uh, Girard says is, society will find a scapegoat. They will typically prosecute or assassinate or sacrifice the scapegoat. Then they will say, it's all good now. Uh, Siddharth Siddhartha and I are best friends for now till the end of dawn. It wasn't our fault. We weren't fighting because of each other and our mimesis. Yeah. We we're fighting because of the scapegoat, that villain over there, yeah. Right? And and then this is a cycle uh, that uh, repeats. And the most famous scapegoat in history, Gerard says, is Jesus Christ. Right? He says Jesus Christ was a scapegoat, right? Yeah. And and it's a mind-blowing book. And once you sort of read it and you absorb it, um uh, it's you know you start trying to understand how much of what I do is actually specific and individual to me and how much is mimesis and there's a man called Tom Bergin he's written a book called Wanting which simplifies Girard is a little heavy reading right uh, uh, Tom uh, Tom Bergin has simplified uh, 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 Girard's book uh, sorry Luke I'm sorry the, the book is called Wanting the power of mimetic desire in everyday life the author is called Luke Burgess I'm sorry Luke, Luke. Burgess in a book called Wanting has simplified Girard and, and I think it's worth reading it will give people a perspective of how much, how little of what they do is actually individual to them and how much it's influenced by the society around them.
0: Right.
1: Now those are some really interesting books, uh, Saru,
0: I think you've given me and my listeners some (laughs) quite something to think about. Uh, I know we're running short on time, so we'll just quickly sum this up. Uh, I have two quick questions for you. Uh, What's your next book about you? could did mention it briefly, if you could just uh, give us give us a big uh, insight onto it and when it's coming out. And the second thing is just a quick fun question we do with all our authors, who guests who come on our podcast. Uh, we live in an era where uh, writers and given that your profession is that of a fund manager, you have a public persona. Uh, I do believe that there is a certain part of you that's hidden away from the world. So maybe if you'd like to share something about yourself that maybe the public doesn't know as of now. But you'd
1: be comfortable sharing it now. So let me merge the two questions. So because hey. the book is about exposing, uh, revealing to the world a lot of what is hidden about uh, about myself. So around six years ago, a lady in London started coaching me, mm-hmm. and by mandate, she started coaching me on a whole bunch of that. And I wasn't happy about myself, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, for example, uh, for example, um, I used to be a I used to be a short tempered person. Right, uh, uh, um, and I used to push the, my colleagues super hard. I was, a, I was a brutal guy to work for. Uh, I used to work in CNRs myself, and I used to push people around me to work very hard. And and, um, and six years ago, this lady in London, her name is Anna. Uh, she started coaching me, and over the last six years, she's had a massive influence mm-hmm. on on how I behave, how 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 Marcellus has been constructed. Um, and I thought that was very interesting, that how you know, for someone relatively, you know, when, I, when I met Anna, I would have been 40 years old, so someone relatively mature in life, a smart coach, and she's, a, she's, a, she's, a, she's my coach, a smart coach is able to understand the person, mm-hmm. understand the person's psychology, understand why that person is behaving in a certain way and give them a roadmap, give them a roadmap to becoming a better version of themselves. Right. So a couple of years ago, uh, I suggested to Anna that why don't we write a book about this whole journey? Uh, mm-hmm. She's obviously done with so thousands of executives the world over, and uh, Anna and I collaborated, and hopefully in three months' time, you guys will see the, so you'll see the fruits of that. As to how a whole bunch of you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I've still got plenty of negative traits, so there's still a lot of work to do. There's a whole bunch of negative traits I need to work on, but at least the. The sort of the negative trait which was destructive in the context of corporate life, she's been able to remediate those to a significant extent. And, and the next book is about this whole journey.
0: Well, uh, I really look forward to reading about this. Sort of, this is uh, a very fascinating idea that you've proposed, and you generally are a very good writer.
1: I absolutely loved reading your newsletters and Diamonds in the Dust. So, uh, no, no, I'm not sure how 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 much you like reading this next book. It's all about imperfections, flaws. Right. Uh, flaws and the remediation of flaws right no so and that that's like actually
0: one of the things I would love to read about because I think the, I when I said I liked reading your work I I didn't necessarily mean the content I meant the way you wrote that content is something the way it comes across to a person and I think in, right and in that uh because the thing is I made this um I made a few people who are not related to finance read your book right and I think that's one of the best tests of kind of uh communicating uh, of a person's communication skills when a person like i mean i might have some knowledge of what say what a p ratio is or what cash flows mean or what investing is but when someone who's say a newcomer is trying to read a right. book and is able to grasp concepts and understand things is actually a true test of those things thank you thank you really
1: appreciate hey?
0: it thank you very much hey? so uh thank you for joining us saurav this was lovely i'm pretty sure all our listeners loved it uh and best of luck for everything thank you so much for coming on Thanks this is wonderful thanks a lot thanks, thanks. bye bye bye, bye sir. thank you for listening to our podcast if you enjoyed that episode don't forget to like share and subscribe to our youtube channel or on any other podcasting platform where you might have heard this we are always open to feedback do reach out to us in any possible way we are on instagram at the rate Kitabi karwan where we post about books do interesting lives do follow us on instagram as well thank you